And welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. It is show number 67. It is Marathon Sunday here uh, in Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, and it is show number 67. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and excited, very excited today. Uh, I have my brother on the show, Paul Murata. Uh, is joining us today, and he'll be with us here in a moment. Um, it is November 4th for all of those that are listening live, and it's uh, Marathon Sunday, New York City. Here comes my man Baxter. Uh, New York City Marathon today, and, and that's really what we're going to talk about is uh, uh, the story of this marathon and, and my dad and my brother and, and all of these things that, that meant uh, just so many important things uh, to us. So, uh, but before we tell that story and get started, uh, a couple of shout outs. I know the Laberski family is watching live. Uh, many of our family members are watching live as this is a, uh, an emotional day for us. And uh, um, so I do want to give my family a shout out and uh, our listeners and Voice Ed Radio Canada and uh, uh, give a shout out to them. And, and I'd like to thank today's sponsor is CatskillMarketing.com. Uh, and uh, Catskill Marketing is a group that I signed on with, and uh, they have done a lot of great things for me. Number one, helping me fix my internet, so I got a clear screen tonight, which is great. Uh, but Catskill Marketing offers a full range of sales and marketing services with a focus on website development, including e-commerce, social media management, and graphic design. Our core, our other core strengths are overall marketing and sales strategy, CRM implementation, photography, video editing, email marketing, brand development, and search engine optimization. We partner with you to develop an affordable plan to increase your revenue. So they are working with me and all that I'm doing and uh, very grateful uh, for them. So you could contact them at info at catskillmarketing.com and their number is 845-787-3927. And like all things out there, you can find them on Facebook. Uh, shout out to Catskill Marketing Group. They've launched a new website for me, so I'm excited about that. Uh, AndrewMarada.com, and uh, you could check that out. So let's get to it. Today is not only November 4th, my grandmother's, uh, I believe it's 108th. I'll have Paul correct me if that's uh, if that's wrong. Uh, 108th birthday uh, for my grandma. She's no longer with us, but it is her birthday. And uh, I do want to recognize also Success Hotline, my friend, Dr. Rob Gilbert. Uh, if, again, you're listening live, 973-743-4690. 973-743-4690. Left an amazing message uh, about the story about my dad. And, and uh, uh, just it was just tremendous. So check that out. And uh, if you are listening on iTunes or somewhere else, uh, you could go to successhotlinepodcast.com and you can and hear that. So that's today's opening is this great story uh, of Paul and my dad and the marathon and, and the donating of the kidney. Uh, for the family and friends that are listening, you know the story. Uh, but if you're not one of those people and you don't know it, it's, it's a tremendous story. And um, it began with a, a, my dad's health failing. He um, was not doing well and uh, he had diabetes. He had uh, colon cancer. He had a number of, of things that have affected him over his lifetime. And he just, he was overweight, not, not doing so well. And uh, 
they basically told him he would either have to uh, have a kidney transplant uh, and or go on dialysis. And he did not want to accept a, a kidney. He didn't want uh, to put other people through that. Uh, and eight of us got tested and uh, to transplant. And my brother being the first son in the Italian family stepped up. There wasn't even a discussion. He just kind of said, I'm doing it. And that's the end of the discussion. And uh, my brother donated my dad a kidney. And uh, when Paul comes on, he'll tell us the time frame of that. It's all a blur here. Um, but Paul gave my dad a kidney and really resurrected his life. Uh, I said my dad was like a wilt flower. And then, boom, it was like he gave a miracle grow, water, sun. And just my dad's whole life just came back. And, and he was a new person. And then he was like Forrest Gump, right? That scene in Forrest Gump where he just comes off the porch and starts running, right? And he says, I was running. Uh, Dad did that, but it was walking. He wanted to get in shape. Uh, he wanted to honor Paul for the kidney and really uh, kind of get back to when he was younger. And uh, he lost a tremendous amount of weight. And uh, my dad, get, you know, come and says, well, we're gonna do the marathon. They were like, what? Uh, he, he lost his vision. He couldn't see. Uh, he was overweight. And, and he comes out and says, he's gonna do the marathon. And we were all like, you're crazy. Uh, and fast forward, we did four marathons together. Uh, my brother, um, myself, and my dad uh, was just a tremendous experience, and and really, it was just it was just great. So again, if you haven't seen it um, on YouTube, if you type in Joe Marotta Marathon, um, you can find that video. And uh, we had a videographer with us. A shout out to Ahmed and Hoda, our friends in Canada, uh, who filmed it, and. Uh, just a tremendous video and and you can watch you know the story you know the ending he, he does die at the end which is a little sad uh but that's what he would have wanted he kind of did it his way and uh, always said he wanted to die at home and he did die at home after finishing that marathon um and we're going to talk to paul about his feelings on this and, and what it meant to him um, but what it left me with is to finish what you started right he got back in shape. He became a marathoner um, and with the help of the Achilles group, uh, really went out there and, and became an athlete and, and just was a tremendous story. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for my brother, for what he did for our family and our dad. And, and uh, I know my mom is eternally grateful and, and uh, it's just a tremendous story. So today's story is about organ donation today's story is about love today's uh, show is about uh, your family and and all those important things so let's meet paul let's bring paul in here and bam there he is hey paul welcome to the program hi everybody i know uh, you got a lot going on uh, this is paul Murata, everyone and uh, he just had a baby boy here three days ago right paul Yes, three days ago. Pretty exciting times here in the Marada home. Very uh, exciting, and uh, it's very quiet there. There's no screaming. There's no yelling. Uh, the baby must be doing well. Baby James is doing well. Yes, he is. Paul, I appreciate you making time. Um, you have so many things going on. You just moved into a new home. You just had a new baby. Um, and we also just went through a couple of emotional days. Uh, we are at the 10 year anniversary of losing dad. Um, I know I watched the video this weekend, uh, but what does today mean to you, Paul, uh, uh, the marathon Sunday and to know that it was 10 years, 
uh, to the day that we, we lost that. You know, Marathon Sunday is one of my, believe it or not, favorite days of the year. Uh, the marathon shows hope. It shows spirit. It shows the can-do attitude. It kind of unites New York City for all things good. And specifically today, Paul, though, is it, you know, 10 years and, and thinking about that, is it, what, is, what feelings does that bring back for you? It's an emotional day. Um, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss him. I wish he could meet uh, my new son. But, don't start crying. Uh, if you start crying, <laughs> start crying. <laughs> but um, Brandy was a, my wife, Brandy, was a few days overdue. He was actually scheduled to arrive on October 27th. And our sister Suzanne texted me, I want to say maybe it was either October 30th or Halloween morning. And she said, Daddy's not ready to give him up yet. Or, or yeah, she did say him. She said, Daddy's not ready to give him up yet. And it really brought a smile and touched my heart when he said that, when Suzanne said that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and Daddy would certainly be thrilled uh, having a boy, you know. Um, Paul, let's let's talk about the donation, right? Um, now, help me put the time frame. How? What year did you give the kidney? Oh, I want to say it might have been two thousand and four. Two thousand and four. So, Daddy lived four years with with your kidney. Yes. Okay. And and go through that with us, Paul, again, and and like. I know we didn't have much discussion with it because you just said you're doing it and uh, you did it. You, it was a good match. Um, what did that mean for you personally to be able to give dad the kidney? Well, there was a couple of things. I know we all went for testing, including Aunt Marianne went for testing and our sisters and brothers all went for testing. And we were all equal matches, three out of six on the, on the um, genetic marking. And I remembered them saying that something to the point that if you were going to have a uh, have a baby, meaning if you were going to carry a baby, uh, having one kidney can put a lot of extra stress on the body. So that instantly threw off our, our two sisters. Um, and then when you and I were equal, like you said in your opening, with me being the firstborn in the Italian family, there was no discussion. And I, I, I for not very many times in my life, I kind of pulled the big brother card and said, we're, we're, we're not having this discussion. I remember it clearly. We were on the phone. And the, the harder discussion, believe it or not, was with dad, was where he didn't want to accept it. And he didn't want me to, or any of us to go through any of this because you're going into the hospital as a very healthy individual and you're leaving not a healthy individual. And he knew that. And so then I told him, well, what I also heard when we went for the class was that if I, if anybody gave a kidney, he would move up to the top of the list. So I told him I either he was going to get mine or he was going to get a stranger's cause I was donating anyway so that he could be to the top of the list. Oh, oh I didn't and know. It was, only, it was only then that he agreed to do this cause he knew uh, I'm stubborn just like he was. And then I was going to do it anyway. Nice. Well, you're either shrinking or the computer is going down. Move your move yourself up so you're a little higher. There you go. Yeah, Paul, did you did you feel closer uh, to Dad afterwards? You know, I, I was just telling Brandy this the other day. Uh, well, actually, when we were in the hospital, I had remembered 
they kept us on separate, not only separate rooms, but separate floors of the, the Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And they did that because obviously we had the same last name and both had kidney surgery, so they didn't want to screw up any meds. But they let me go see him, and it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I, I walked up to the other floor. It took me a while to get up there, but I walked up there, and we sat and we talked. And I want to say we talked for 10 hours or so. Um, and we just talked about life and this and that. And, it, and that was a really – I still remember that that night or that morning, and it was very close. And from that moment on, we've been uh, different but very close. Yeah. And Paul, you know, I, I talked about this notification keeps popping up. Sorry. Uh, I talked about what the kidney did for dad and how it kind of changed his life. And uh, he did so many things to be more healthy because of it. Um, but it also sparked you this marathon and, and you had some life changes also, you know, you went from the famous 280, right? Paul, your nickname used to be 280. Um, but you became a marathon runner after this experience of doing the marathons with dad. Um, tell me about that transformation of your life. And again, starting with donating that kidney and you trying to lead a more healthy lifestyle also, um, you know, this whole experience transformed your life as well. Yeah. So a couple of things happened. Um, one, I used to play um, rugby with the Village Lions out of New York City. And uh, one of the things the doctors recommended was that I no longer play this game that I loved, uh, which I obliged. And I I still play from time to time, but not at the level of, of the Village Lions out of New York City. And so... Um, I found myself missing and lacking something. And then I saw the example that our dad set for us. And so after he had died, I had decided I wanted to try and run the New York City Marathon. And I didn't know the first thing about running or anything. And so I did what he did, except, you know, he walked and I said, okay, let's start running. And I learned really quickly that there's no better competitor than yourself and uh, your your body can push you and take you places that you never believed you could go and I'm sure that's what our dad felt that when he I remembered him what a couple of times Andrew you remember when there would be somebody in front of me oh let's go get that person he, they don't belong in front of us <laughs> and to this day I still do that I call it fishing I, I find somebody in front of me that doesn't belong there and then I go and catch them nice um, and it's something I tried to pass on to Caitlin, who is now also running a lot um, to go fishing. Well, you and Suzanne have uh, certainly be, you know, developed a love of running and, uh, you know, very passionate about it. And uh, besides the competitiveness, Paul, what is it else that you love about it? Because you've gotten so into it. You've ran how many marathons and have been to how many different cities to run? I mean, I know you did that. The Disney thing, and you've done a bunch in Long Island. How many have you done total? So there's, I've completed 30 marathons, about 10 New York City marathons. Uh, and I've traveled to uh, – I've run marathons in Philadelphia, D.C., two in Minneapolis. Uh, and like you said, I've done the Dopey Challenge in, in Disney World and the Goofy Challenge in Disney World. 
Incredible. Dopey being a 5K, followed by a 10K, followed by a half, followed by a full in four days. So, Paul, other than, I mean, other than the competition, there's got to be something else that gets going in you that makes you want to run 26.2 miles and put all that time and effort into it. What is it that has got you so passionate about it? Well, the, the training, it's a rigorous schedule to follow, uh, to be able to complete a marathon and it's you put a lot of time in but it's on your schedule which is makes it easier it's not on somebody else's time it's on your time so you can plan accordingly but it's it's simple it's putting one step in front one foot in front of the other it's one breath one step one mile at a time and it's the, the ability to be quiet to think to soul search to ask yourself questions and it's like I ask any, anybody that tells me, Paul, I, I want to run a marathon. How do I do it? The first thing I tell them is to go look at themselves in the mirror and say, do you and tell yourself that you want to do this because you, there's no lying to yourself. And it's it's that ability to soul search and really meditate while you're running. And you'd be surprised how quickly those hours and those miles can click by when you're thinking. Yeah. Paul, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, again, the timing of, of the date that we lost dad and then boom, you, you have a son, you know, last name Murata. Um, What does this mean to you and your wife that you have a, a baby boy, a healthy baby boy here? You know, I met Brandy a few years ago when I was in a dark place in my life. And about a year ago, she agreed to be my wife. She had moved here from Minneapolis and she's been my my rock, my, my, my everything. And, uh, the ability to, to, I used to tease her when we were dating that one day you're going to have a boy and he's going to look up at you and he's going to say, mommy, I want to have some ice cream and you're going to be the one that has to tell him no. <laughs> and a dream came true the other morning when, when little James arrived. And then I told Brandy that, She's going to have to, what is she going to say when he wants ice cream? And then she said, you're going to, going to, you're going to have to go ask your dad. <laughs> your cousin Denise is telling you to stop crying. <laughs> Hi D. Uh, Paul, if dad were here, what advice do you think he would give you on being a, you know, a new father and, and having a boy? Oh, one, I don't think it matters that it's a boy or girl with him. He loved all of us equally and all of his grandchildren equally. Um, I don't know. Maybe he liked Missy or Allie more because he's always said that Allie was his best friend. But now Allie's my best friend. So I don't know if you're listening, Allie, but you're <laughs> my best friend. Um, but he would tell us to be, you know, be a good role model for, for our family, for our children and for our community uh, to do what's right. And those are things I still follow today. And I remember him telling me, you know, people will, will, will watch what you do, but, you know, don't rest on yesterday's news because it's, it's under the birdcage. The newspaper is under the birdcage. And he would also say SPS, which means self-praise stinks. And, you know, do what's right. And if more than two people know about what it is, if you do something good, then that's one person too many. And that's what I try and do. And I know that's what he's tries to tell it, taught us to do. And 
and just again set a good example for others to follow he also used to say make sure you have a quarter and i'd say why i said so you could call someone else because don't call me if you get yourself in trouble that's for sure <laughs> yeah paul the name of the show is called education leadership and beyond and uh you know you you're a teacher to your children and your family but in your in your professional life you're a chemist at estee lauder uh, you know, you're a lead uh, lead chemist of the the mascara team, and and um, but tell me about how, oh look who is on the show there. Look at that. Well, hello there, James. You are the first newborn on the show. What would you like to say, James? <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Well, thanks for coming, uh, James. Look. <laughs> He's getting a lot of shout outs now. Um, so Paul, tell me about how do you, how do you display leadership uh, at, your, at your job? Well, um, let's just go back before you before I answer that question. You know, one of the best things about Estee Lauder is that it is a, it is a publicly held company, but it is not a publicly held company. It's still a family company. Um, we still see the Lauder family from time to time, and they are actively involved in what they're doing. And they set the example of family is always first. And, you know, that's why I'm able to be home this week and to be able to be with my family, knowing that my team is running the lab and running what needs to happen. And what I've learned in, in running a team and, and running a team that develops products for every single makeup brand uh, is that you're nobody without your team. Uh, they teach me more than I teach them. And I have to learn more to shut my mouth and listen to what they have to say than what I, than them listening to what I have to say. I like that. They're, they're the ones that are on the front lines. Um, and it's my job just to course correct and get out of their way because they are phenomenal people with, uh, with a great touch of what is going on within the mascara marketplace. And you've become friends with so many of them also. I mean, you, you really grown close with them and to see that professional yet friendships uh, is a very special, a special thing to, to be able to have both in the same person. Yes. And yeah. it's, it's cool because there are times when you have to have that difficult discussion. And then the next thing you know, they're coming over to visit you at the hospital because you just had a baby boy. Nice. And it's because at the end of the day, we all mean to do the right thing. And uh, it's just, it's my job to be the boss is only to course correct and to realign priorities and then to get out of their way. You know, Paul, I know, you know, my good friend, Francis Sellis, he's a cardiologist. He's been on the show. And I asked him this question. I said, Francis, what do you do when you have a subpar employee within your group uh, that's not getting the job done? Uh, and his answer to me was immediate. He said, Andrew, they wouldn't even be in the room. And it was like, wow, you know, that's, that's terrific. But how, what, what about on your job? What if, what if someone is making an error or, or, you know, messes up a big batch as you call them? Um, how do you deal with mistakes on the job there? That's costing a lot, you know, a lot of money. Well, there's a couple of things. One, you have to make the environment, uh, of, that there is no such thing as a mistake. I mean, yes, there are mistakes, but there is no such thing as a mistake because you're inventing. 
And if you hit the ball three out of 10 times in baseball, you're a Hall of Famer. Well, the same thing is true in cosmetic science, but it's maybe one out of 10. And, you know, uh, yes, we're chemists, but, you know, one of the old people taught me, we, we do try chemistry, which is you try this and you try that. And you don't want to create an environment where people are afraid to fail. Because you will fail. But what we practice to preach is to fail quick and to fail first. And to be able to learn when to get, when to move on from this line of experimentation and when to transfer. The problem really is, is that when you find somebody who doesn't have the passion you have and having to move quickly from that person without the passion, because then they better learn quickly that maybe cosmetic science or Estee Lauder companies is not for them. And Paul, how do you, how do you manage continuing to make something that's good for the company and then also find time to kind of make something new? Well, we service many different makeup brands, so there is a market for all different types of products within this. Um, so to that point is what we try and allow is to have free thought every day, allow people to research what it is that brings them passion, however, make sure it's business relevant. Yeah. And again, that's one of my jobs is to is to to rein that in whenever possible, because unfortunately we're not a university where we can just do pure research. There has to be an end goal. And one of the questions, and I have a series of three questions that are on the back, four questions that are on the back of the door when they leave the lab every day. And one of them is it, is it brand specific and can you plus it? Um, and that is, can you add a little bit of magic to it? Is good, good enough? And can you put a little bit of magic in it? Um, and one example is if I'm making this up, but if pomegranate extract is hot right now, is there any other type of extract that is hot? Is pomegranate and green tea uh, the right choice? Not just settle on pomegranate. Uh, just a random example, but. Yeah. And Paul, how, what, how did you get to the mascara team? Like, I mean, you, you didn't, you went to college, you played rugby, you were a chemistry major, you know, you didn't have a passion for mascara. How did you, how did you get on that team and just continue to grow in that team? Well, one thing I was always good at and came naturally natural to me was doing puzzles. And formulating mascara is very much like a puzzle. There are an infinite number of combinations you can do, and it's very hard. Where do you start? What, what parts do you lock in on? And I remember Dad saying, first thing you do is you find the four corners. Then you build the outside. And then you find light colors. And that's exactly like how mascara development is, is you first you lock in on a certain part and then you keep moving forward but understanding you're not making it for you or your team you're making it for a consumer and you have to make sure you understand what it is the consumer wants you know mr henry ford said if he would have asked his customers what they wanted they would have said a faster horse and not a car so how do you understand what your consumer wants and give them what they want even though they're telling you again they want a faster horse. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a good, that's a good, I hadn't heard that. That's good. That's good. Paul, um, 
You mentioned your wife, Brandy. I know she's watching live and she got James there. Thanks for allowing James to visit. Um, but she's brought so much into your life uh, that's different for you, uh, including, yes. you know, geography, like going out west, uh, you know, with something new. Tell me about what you've learned about life out west and, and what's different out there and what have you grown to like about those areas? Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. First, it's the Midwest, not the West. So. Mm -hmm. And, and hey, it's west of us. <laughs> but but when I when I exactly when I used to you know growing up in New York you you see a map of the United States and there's New York Florida California Vegas and then corn 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 corn. But what I've learned is there's a lot more than corn there. Um, there are good people there that have good values that that really feed this this country of ours. Um, but you know what's funny. They have commercials that are specific to the Midwest that make fun of New Yorkers. Oh yeah, they they, they mock us. They think we're we're an aggressive group, but but that's okay. I mean, they can have their fun. I mean, the Yankees beat the Twins a lot, and everybody's jealous of the Yankees, so that's okay. <laughs> what has been an area that you've really liked? I mean, I know uh, Colorado and Minnesota. What's been an area that you've grown to like? It's, you know, what I learned about Minnesota is they don't hibernate in the winter. They celebrate all four seasons. They go out, they enjoy the, the winter sports. They participate in the winter sports. They don't sit at home and complain. When it's cold here in New York, people say, oh, I can't go outside. I can't do this. But in, in those parts of the country, they really do celebrate all four seasons and continue to do things that are fun. Um, there's also a good sense of community and neighborhood and, and all of the people watch out for each other. Uh, and the same holds true for, for Colorado where, uh, you, you see them enjoying the winter sports as much as they love the summer sports. Yeah, it really is beautiful, uh, country. And I've been blessed to visit there as well. Um, you have trips coming out soon here? I mean, I know James is with you, but I'm sure they're going to want to meet James out in the Midwest. Well, one of the things that's been cool is, um, you know, I learned to ski in uh, upstate New York going once, twice a year with, with just a, a couple of bunch of friends. But Brandy being from an avid skiing family, um, over the past two years, she, she, she has taught Josie and Bella how to ski. And the girls have grown quite fond of that. And we're looking forward to uh, Josie and Bella for the first time joining the, the McRae family uh, out in Colorado on their annual ski trip. Nice. Uh, but just before that, we will be heading out to Minnesota for the Christmas time uh, where the girls will be traveling again with, with James and enjoying the, the Christmas season over in Minnesota. Paul, before we get to the rapid fire portion of the show, um, you know, you have several passions that we've talked about uh, in your life, you know, running, the chemistry, uh, rugby, you know, but something that you did when you were younger uh, that I chose not to do, but you did and, and got to the highest level was scouting uh, and becoming an Eagle Scout. And I remember when you talked about your interview at Estee Lauder at, at how much Mr. Lauder spoke about being an Eagle Scout in the interview. It wasn't so much about chemistry, but more so that that you were an Eagle Scout. Tell me what uh, impact that uh, reaching the level of Eagle, Eagle Scout has had on your life. Well, the, the Boy Scouts and not just being an Eagle Scout, but the Boy Scouts has taught me a lot in life. You know, growing up again in uh, 
inner New York City, well, not inner New York City, but New York City, you're, you, being in the Boy Scouts exposed me to a lot of things that even still helps me to this day from learning how to build a fire and taking care of yourself and cleaning up after yourself and washing with yourself and learning how to cook by yourself um, and learning how to also be a man and to be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, and thrifty, <laughs> brave, clean, and reverent. But, you know, uh, Brandy and I have taken the girls camping this year, and I was teaching them the same lessons that I was taught um, when I was their age in the Boy Scouts. And it teaches you a lot of things. Like, for example, today, Bella and I, was, we had a flag that we put up a, a boy flag, and I took down my American flag. And I was teaching Bella how to properly fold the flag. Uh, and again, it's another little lesson that I learned with the Scouts, but it's something that is potentially lacking from today's youth um, that I wish that more people would be involved in and be more aware of their environment and more aware of um, the outdoors and patriotism and doing the right thing when it's, sometimes it's harder. And what, who pushed you to be Eagle Scout? Was it Uncle Peter? Was it uh, our cousins, Michael and Peter? Who, who pushed you to say, hey, this is something you really should do? Well, it wasn't. They set a proper example, and Uncle Peter was always there supporting me. And Michael and Peter uh, were, again, they were Eagle Scouts. And I remember them telling me there's not a Marotta boy that is not a, an Eagle Scout. But it was Dad that, like you said when you did your opening, if you start something, you finish something. Uh, you know, I was involved also with a good group of friends, and it was fun, um, you know, playing with fire and pocket knives, and uh, it was fun. Yeah, maybe we didn't get – I didn't do other things, but, again, through scouting, I learned how to ski, and uh, it brought value to the life, and I, and I started to see that as I got a little bit older, and it was, it was a good lesson. But, again, it was starting what you finished. Cool, cool. Paula, let's get to the rapid-fire portion of the show. These are quick answers. Uh, the first thing that kind of comes to your head, okay? I know you haven't had much sleep lately, so I, I, let's do the best you can, all right? All right, giddy up. Here we go. The last book you read? Oh, it, uh, the James Patterson of the – the what's his name? The, the, How, the Cross series. Okay, yeah. Mom likes that, too. <laughs> Alex Cross series. The last movie you saw? Han Solo. What do you give that out of 10? 10 is the best Star Wars movie ever. One no, is you can't say that. It was. What do you give it? What do you give it out of 10? I enjoyed it, so I'd give it a 7. Okay. Favorite place to travel? I love the city of Florence. I'm looking forward to going back with Brandy. Nice. You can visit San Gimignano. Best thing about being a chemist at Estee Lauder? The people. The worst thing about being a chemist at Estee Lauder? <laughs> um, dealing with, with political situations that sometimes have to occur. Something that motivates you is? My dad. There you go. Three most important qualities of a good chemist. Vision. The ability to cook 
and the ability to listen. I like that answer. Best New York Giant of all time. Lawrence Taylor. He may not have been the, he's the best football player. I don't know if he was the best role model, but he was the best football player. It, people went from wearing offensive jerseys to wearing defensive jerseys. Yeah, yeah. Um, best thing about having season tickets to the New York Giants? Being able to go to any game you want to go to. Yeah. Besides your job and your family, what is something that you are most proud of? 30-time marathon. Hall of Fame with the Village Lions Rugby Football Club. I didn't know you were in the Hall of Fame. Very cool. And I, also, I know you did a lot of marathons. I didn't realize it was 30. And the Village Lions are 25 years old, and to be able to name to the 25-year-old team, meaning I was the best at my position in the 25 years. Very cool. Um, Short-term personal goal, three to five months. Become a better father. Long-term uh, personal goal, three to five years. <laughs> Become a better father <laughs> and, a, and a better husband. <laughs> well, Paul, that will lead me then to the quote here. I know you have a quote for us also, but I'll read this quote for you. Uh, someone gave it to me when I had a son, and I'm going to give it to you and our listeners. It's called Little Eyes Upon You. And it goes like this. Little Eyes Upon You. There, <clears throat> there are little eyes upon you, and they're watching you night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do anything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day, he'll be just like you. You're the little fellow's idol. You're the wisest of the wise. In his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up just like you. Yep. So your little man, James, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him. Uh, but I know you have a quote for us all also, Paul, that you use uh, one of your favorite characters uh, uh, in the movie world, but also in real life. Yeah, but, you know, before you before I give you that quote, you know, um, I always said, you know, it's very similar to this quote, and I've told a lot of people this. And, you know, sometimes from time to time you hear, oh, that's a bad kid. Uh, in my opinion, there's no such thing as bad children. There's only bad parenting. And that's something I try and live closely by, and it's important to me. So your little quote there kind of echoes exactly what I was thinking. I like it. But one of, the, one of my quotes, and it's on my every email I send at the bottom, and uh, I, I try and live by this too. It says, pass on what you have learned, strength, mastery, but weakness, folly, failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. And that was by Jedi Master Yoda. <laughs> um, but if you think about that, you know, you learn a lot more from your failures than you do your successes. And uh, that's what I try and teach my team all the time is, um, you know, the reason I, I know a lot of things is because I failed hard and I failed often and learn from that and just, you know, don't be stupid and make the same mistake twice because the person that's doing your job at, at a different company uh, is already a day ahead of you. Nice. 
Paul, you talked about being a better father and, and uh, learning from that. And uh, one of the gifts I'm going to give you is today's book recommendation. Uh, this is a great book, and it is called 52 Things Kids Need from a Dad. And it's by Jay, I don't know how to pronounce this, Pate Leitner. Um, I'm going to have Jay on the show one of these days. Uh, but I'm bringing this to you when I come see you. And uh, this is today's recommendation. So if your father out there, come check this out. Uh, Jay Patliner, 52 things kids need from a dad. So, Paul, uh, we're at the end of the show. Um, I'm really thankful that you made time for this. I know you haven't had a chance to even you know, get some rest. So um, I appreciate the time uh, you made today. Uh, thank you, Andrew. It's been fun. And, uh, you know, Paul, again, it's Marathon Sunday. Um you know, 10 years since dad's passing, I think he would be really proud of, of you. I think he'd be proud of me and our family. And um, it's important that we continue to go on and, and uh, do good things uh, in dad's name. So uh, let's continue to do that. Yeah, but don't forget SPS, self-praise things. And uh, what you did yesterday is on the bottom of the birdcage already today. Yeah, he did used to say that a lot. Yeah. So. All right, Paul, we are going to sign off here. Um, this is Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AndrewMurata21. Paul, do you have any social medias if uh, there's any chemistry people out there? Are you doing any of that kind of stuff? Just on LinkedIn, and yeah, LinkedIn is the best way. Okay, so they can uh, reach out to you on LinkedIn there. Uh, I'm thankful for Paul uh, for being on the show, and uh, best to your son, Paul, and your wife, and uh, certainly uh, Josie and Bella as well. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. All right, we are signing off on education, leadership, and beyond. Uh, continue to go out and change the world for the better, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.